You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now. So get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. Hey everybody and welcome back to another fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 46, The Stolen Earth and Journey's End Story Review. I'm as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. My vision is not impaired. My vision is not impaired. Oh, bugger. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Paul? It's doing pretty good. Uh, yeah, I can't complain a whole lot at this point. Good. It's going to have some fun talking some doctrine. Oh, yes. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about with these two episodes. Oh, it's... do we ever. Whew. We're going to have to take a deep breath and sort of just run into this full steam. <laughs> but before we get there, there is a brief bit of news that I am super excited to talk about. Just a little bit. Just a, just a tad. Just a tad. It happens to deal with oh, my favorite doctor of all time, Tom Baker, the fourth doctor, Mr. Scarfman, he's amazing, and my favorite movie franchise of all time, that being Star Wars. So, <laughs> I, we may have mentioned this on an old episode, that Tom Baker had let it slip at a convention that he was going to be in Star Wars at some point. You know, he had recorded something for Star Wars. Well, we officially now know what that is. As of this recording, this past weekend, saw... Star Wars Celebration Europe over in London happen and during their season 3 panel for Star Wars Rebels we got to see a trailer and in the second half of that trailer is a character that is introduced and that character is voiced by the incomparable Tom Baker <laughs> and oh my goodness that voice I recognized my immediately and uh, he's playing a character called the Bendu and he's some sort of force creature 
force of nature. He's he talks about the Sith and the Jedi, the light and the dark. I'm the one in the middle. So <laughs> we're very curious to see what all that means. And I'm sure I'll probably mention it when those episodes finally air here on the show because it's the Doctor. You kind of have to. Talk about <laughs> uh, and the last time a Doctor appeared on a Star Wars animated TV show, he got an Emmy out of it. So, you know, David Tennant got an Emmy for yeah. playing a, a Jedi training droid, basically, who taught the Jedi <laughs> younglings how to build their own lightsabers. Yeah. Huang, I believe, or Huang is how you pronounce the droid's name. He was pretty cool. But what did you think about <laughs> Tom Baker and, and Star Wars? It's, originally, it wasn't something before the original announcement um, that w- I would have probably put together uh, in my mind. Uh, be- just because it's two separate universes, you know, and you don't think about necessarily those two separate universes overlapping, especially when you're looking at a classic Doctor. But... I mean, he is known for his iconic voice, you know. It's almost (laughs) as iconic as the late, great Christopher Lee. Yeah. And and, and let's be honest, as much as we want him to, people don't last forever. I know. And so I am all for us being able to, I guess the best way, the best word to use would be savor. To savor every opportunity that we get to have something from those iconic people that we love and hold so dear, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it's just, well, I've said it before. It makes me want to squeal like a little girl, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I'm really intrigued by, by the character and what sort of stories he may be involved in. So, um, well, maybe we'll get more than one episode out of him. I hope so. Because more Tom Baker is always a good thing. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't already, you should go back and listen to some of his interviews. <laughs> he's amazing. Yeah, he's very interesting to listen to in his personal, just one-on-one conversations, you know. A man who is larger than life, if you will. Yeah. And especially with this new character. The character <laughs> is a gigantic being, so... Spoilers. Anyway, this is a Doctor Who podcast, not a Star Wars podcast, so we won't stray too far into that realm here anymore. So we should probably head back towards the episodes at hand, that being The Stolen Earth and Journey's End. And I'm going to let you break this down because it's way more complicated than I want to uh, tackle. (laughs) (laughs) Quickly, before we dive into the deep end, uh, we have a new companion to talk about. We've mentioned her on previous shows, kind of our favorite of the modern companions, perhaps, at least mine anyways, Uh, that being Donna Noble. Paul, real quick, you know, in a paragraph or three... um, (laughs) Because we have to keep it down somewhat. <laughs> what are your thoughts on Donna Noble? Oi! Watch it, space boy! <laughs> <laughs> Was that brief enough? <laughs> but do you like the character? Oh, I love the character. Uh, <laughs> I will be honest with you, though, because she was uh, such a departure from what I had become accustomed to in mm-hmm. the previous Companions... Um, it took me a few episodes to get used to her because, and this is not something that, that I feel now, but at that original moment when I was uh, first digesting the character, you know, mm-hmm. 
the first couple three episodes, I kind of felt like this character's a bit obnoxious. You know, <laughs> I don't know if I like this character or not. You know, <laughs> and I think really it was just them wanting to just depart from the status quo at that point and say, mm-hmm. we're going to bring something completely new and completely original into the show. And this is the person that can do that for us, you know, <clears throat> because once you get used to Donna and if you go back and watch it from the beginning, it doesn't strike you that way at that point, you know, but once you get used to Donna in that role, it's like, you start to be able to connect with her on more than a surface level. And you mm-hmm. can start to see all the little nuanced, uh, you know, portrayals that she has underneath all of that boisterousness, you know, right. and, and some of it's just, you know, inflections in the face and things like that, you know, and, and it's, it's just little subtle things because she's really, really great actress, you know? Oh, she is. I don't think people that have just seen her comedy would realize just, how good of an actress that she actually is. But, you know, the truth is people that do comedy have to be better actors than people a lot of times that do just drama because they have to be able to do everything, you know? Well, I'm not going to say necessarily better actors, but they're more willing to take risks because Mm -hmm. comedy, you have to throw yourself out there. Right. Uh, And so if you're a comedic actor, uh, it's more in your wheelhouse to take a risk when you're doing something serious than it is for a dramatic actor right. to take a risk going the other direction doing something comedic. Right. So um, I find that to be the case. Uh, as far as Donna Noble for me, uh, I liked her in The Runaway Bride. It was just a, a fun situation. And then when she came back on the show, and, you know, <laughs> adipose, schmadipose, yeah. I don't really care about them being the sort of MacGuffin or the... <laughs> I actually enjoyed that. I thought it was refreshingly funny. And, uh, or, or, and I don't really care about, um, I forget her name, but the, 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 the nanny as the villain. I, I don't really care about the whole episode about the two of them reuniting. And that first scene where they finally see each other through the windows and they're talking silently through the windows is still one of my favorite right. moments in the new series. And so I was hooked on her character from day one. So when we get to this, and this is simultaneously one of my favorite, and I, I love this episode so much, and hate this episode so much. For so many different reasons. Um, and we will get into that as we go. Basically, the previous episode uh, is it turn left? Yes. Ends with Donna basically revealing to the Doctor that Rose is back, and that the walls between the universes are breaking down. And so this episode immediately opens with the TARDIS landing and the Doctor and Donna racing out to see how things are going. And things seem to be normal. And they can't understand it. And the Doctor really has to try and figure out what is causing the walls of reality to break down between the parallel worlds and everything. And so they return to the TARDIS to see if they can pick up anything on the scanners, basically. All of a sudden, there's a huge earthquake. And so they rush back, and they look outside, and the TARDIS is hanging there in space. But they were locked on their space-time coordinates. They haven't moved. The Earth is just gone. (laughs) And you're going, what? (laughs) It's been stolen. We don't know who did it. Well, we do, but you know, they don't in the episode. And, of course, all over the country, the world, you know, 
Martha at Unit in New York, Captain Jack, Gwen Cooper, and Anto Jones in Torchwood. And then, of course, there's, you know, Wilf and Donna's mom <laughs> in Chiswick, all trying to figure out what's going on. You know, Torchwood and Unit realize the immensity of the situation, and they're trying to figure it out. Sarah Jane Smith and her son, Luke, are trying to figure this out, too. And Mr. Smith, their computer, tells them to look outside. You know, visual evidence will be most conclusive. So everybody goes outside. You got Sylvia and Wilf, Sarah Jane and Luke, Captain Jack and the Torchwood crew, and Martha and the unit crew all look outside. And the stars are gone. But in its place are 26 other planets. And then right before the, the theme kicks in, Rose Tyler materializes in a flash of white light in the middle of the street, carrying a huge gun, looks up at the sky and says, all right, now we're in trouble. And it's only just beginning. And then we go, and the theme happens, and there's a bajillion names on it this time, and, you know, that sort of thing. Okay, let's call this what this is, okay? Okay. This is a multi-show crossover. It is. It is. This is the same type of thing that you see now with, like, uh, Arrow and The Flash and uh, Legends of Tomorrow, and Mm -hmm. now what we're going to see this year with the four-show crossover with Supergirl added into that. That's basically what this is, because this is all of the shows that RTD has done either in Doctor Who or as a spinoff of Doctor Who, all coming together in a two-part story, and everybody has their own story plot. Right. (laughs) And you're like, is this horse pill too big to swallow? Right. (laughs) But is everybody going to have their own time in the sunshine? Or how is this all going to work with all of these people? Because, you know, we had Doctor Who, we had Torchwood and the Sarah Jane Chronicles. Mm-hmm. And now everybody's coming together for this finale two-parter. And this is actually happening at a point in history, our history, not the show's history necessarily, where Sarah Jane has just kind of found its feet and is, you know, a little bit more well-known show. It's kind of uh, getting more uh, FaceTime with the public, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is also at a point where in Torchwood... Russell T. Davies has just gotten finished killing off half of the original Torchwood crew. Oh, God. Yeah. So this is the reason why you only have Jack, Ianto, and Gwen. Because everybody else is dead. Dear Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <sighs> if, if that brings you up to speed, kind of as where we stand in the uh, Russell T. Davies universe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Dear Lord. The Doctor tells Donna that they're going to the Shadow Proclamation, which is essentially interstellar police force. Mr. Smith tells Sarah Jane that he's picking up a reading of 200 spaceships headed towards Earth from a central planetoid, which appears to be artificial. So, of course, uh, Unit and Torchwood have all figured this out. Rose figures out what's coming. Isn't this the first time we've seen Unit since the new show started? No. It's not? No, 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 no. That was uh, earlier this season. The Santaran stratagem in the Poison Sky. They ran into Unit when the Santarans were there, and they picked up Martha. But I feel like we saw them once before, and I don't recall where. Now, this is the first time, though, that we've seen Unit as more of a worldwide presence. That is true. Uh, yeah. As opposed to just something that we saw in Britain. Right. Uh, of course, it was always implied that it was a worldwide presence, but they never showed you that it was a worldwide presence. Right. 
Uh, Rose figures out what's going on because she's, you know, scared off a couple looters from an electronics store and has hacked into a computer that's showing the same information. Jack's phone rings. It's Martha, and neither of them have heard from the doctor. And so they're trying to figure out what to do next when a message comes through. And it's just one word repeated over and over again. Exterminate. <sighs> Exterminate. Exterminate. Yeah. Exterminate. Exterminate. It's bad. <laughs> um, yeah. Martha just looks horrified. Jack hugs and kisses Ianto and Gwen, saying, we're dead. Sarah Jane can't contain herself. and She f- basically freaks out. Yeah, she freaks out and um, starts hugging and crying uh, dude, because her son is so young. Okay, I have to say this. When when I saw Elizabeth Sladen break down mm-hmm. on screen like that, I ended up breaking down, too. <laughs> it was, I don't want to see you. You know, it was... I don't know if it was because it was her or if it was because it was just such a distinct, you know, powerful moment there in the show. It just seeing her break down made me break down. Yeah. You know, it's uh, a beloved character. You never want to see them in that sort of situation. It makes you sad. And, and she was so authentic in that, you know, it was like you really felt what she was feeling. Right. Right. Rose is the only one that doesn't seem too horrified or surprised, just sad and resolute. Meanwhile, the Daleks are invading everywhere, shooting everything and everyone in their path, basically. Thousands of Dalek saucers descend over Earth. General Sanchez in unit declares an ultimate code red. Simply, you know, Earth is at war. Martha is ordered to take Project Indigo, which is this teleporting device, and the Osterhagen key, which we yeah. don't know what it is yet. This and, teleportation yeah. device that is extremely experimental. Yes. <laughs> In which uh, Jack is very uh, adamant that she not use, but we'll get to that momentarily. <laughs> On the massive spaceship in the center of the planet is this giant artificial planetoid, which is basically the Daleks' version of a Death Star. Called the Crucible. With a bunch of spires sticking out of it in different places. Right. There is a... The Supreme Dalek appears to be in charge. Uh, it's a red Dalek with extra panels. You know, it says, The Crucible will soon be complete. We have waited long for this ultimate destiny. Now the Daleks are the masters of Earth. And the Daleks all chant, We are the masters of Earth, or something like that. This so is now the know. equivalent of the new Dalek Emperor, basically, because he is the highest ranking Dalek there is at this point. He's the highest ranking, but I don't think you'd put him on the level as an Emperor. He's just like a general. I well, feel. The the only equivalent they have at this point, I guess you would say. Right, but I, I wouldn't say he he has the, wields the type of authority that the emperor would. He's more of a he's, general. He's like the Darth Vader of the Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> Is this episode going to be completely full of Star Wars analogies? <laughs> possibly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think we might need that. Um, meanwhile, the TARDIS arrives. The Shadow Proclamation. Uh, of course, the Doctor and Donna are greeted at gunpoint by the Jadoon, which are, of course, the, the rhino aliens, that essentially big, muscular aliens with rhino heads. Um, We've only seen these once before, right, on the moon? Yes. The Doctor basically reports the stolen planet, and uh, the, the, I don't know if the, the lady who they're talking to um, has an actual name, but she's a, a member of the proclamation. She goes, oh... If only that were the only case, or something to that effect, you know. 24 planets have been stolen. Donna asks about Pyrovilia, because they've been hearing about missing planets throughout this season. Missing planets and planetoids. 
the Donna asked about pyrovilia. The Jadoon captain says it's a cold case because it disappeared over 2,000 years ago. But then there was the adipose breeding planet. And the doctor realizes the planets are being snatched out of time as well as space, heads over to the computer and starts shifting the display around and puts all the different planets that are missing into this 3D you know, holographic space. He adds adipose 3, pyrovilia. And then, of course, they remember the lost moon of Poosh. Yeah. Which is just a fun <laughs> phrase to say, the lost moon of Poosh. <laughs> all of a sudden, the, the planets, which has kind of been thrown up there randomly in the room, rearrange themselves into a perfect balance. And uh, according to the doctor, fitting together like pieces of an engine. And then the doctor starts to get a sneaking suspicion that he doesn't like because he remembers someone tried to move the Earth once before. Hmm. <laughs> and this is where we will tell you to go back and listen to our episode talking about... The Dalek Invasion of Earth. The Dalek Invasion of Earth <laughs> with the first doctor, which is the second Dalek episode ever. Which brings this full circle with the original Dalek storylines. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, man. Unit and Torchwood are fighting losing battles, basically. The, the Valiant, which is this essentially a uh, an Avengers skyship, is being destroyed by the Daleks. And the Daleks are just landing everywhere, capturing and killing at will. Martha has been given this teleportation device, projecting to go, and Jack says it's completely experimental, highly unstable, and Martha is forced to put it into use when the Daleks invade the unit facility there in New York, kill everyone else, and that's her only means of escape. When she turns this thing on, the look on her face is like, okay, I guess I'm ready to die now. Right. You know? <laughs> Basically, when Gwen and Ianto ask Jack, what's what's wrong with Project Indigo? You know, he says there's it's no it's not stabilized at all. She's been scattered into atoms. Martha is down. The Supreme Dalek orders that humans be brought to the crucible. And he receives a call from the control room asking for news. The Earth has been subjugated. And this figure glides into the room and asks if there have been news of the doctor. No reports of the Time Lord. We're beyond the Doctor's reach. The, the figure is fascinated by the Dalek's triumphant tone and warns him about his pride. The, the Supreme Dalek proclaims, The Doctor cannot stop us. And yet, Dalek Khan is uneasy. Wait, what? <laughs> so, wait. <laughs> we've got the Supreme Dalek. We've got Davros, who, in case you hadn't figured it out, is the, the figure that's trying to get all this information. And Dalek Khan? The last member of the Cult of Scarrow? What? Emergency temporal shift. Right. So <laughs> now we're going, what? <laughs> the Supreme Dalek thinks that Dalek Khan is an abomination. He, he's insane. and Although he's the one that saved them all from the time war. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, that's what Davros says. Without Dalek Khan, Earth would never have been conquered. And we get the idea that Dalek Khan is prophetic in a sense in that uh, well, yes. he, he gives these I, these things in like riddles but they all come true and we'll find out why so later. he's nostradamus mm. nostradalic <laughs> back at the shadow proclamation donna is sitting off to the side as the doctor works out what exactly has happened and uh, 
one of the, the members of the proclamation comes over, gives her some water, and notices that something had been on Donna's back earlier, which is a direct callback to uh, turn left. And she says, I'm so sorry for your loss. And, you know, yeah, my planet's been stolen, you know, that sort of thing. No, no, the loss that's still to come. What? What? What does that mean? And you start getting the idea that this is not going to end well for Donna. <laughs> Jason's favorite part. Yeah, let's not <laughs> talk about that yet. Um, the doctor is trying to find a way to track down where the Earth has gone, how we can track down the direction the Earth has taken, and asks Donna if there was anything strange going on on Earth. She's like, nothing that I can think of. I mean, there were the bees disappearing. And the doctor goes, oh, the bees disappearing. The bees disappearing. The bees disappearing, you know, and he gets so excited about this because some of the bees are apparently an alien and were returning home to Melissa Majoria uh, and can be tracked on the Tandoka scale. And they realize if they follow the Tandoka trail that Earth has left in space, they'll be able to track down where it went. And so the doctor gets all excited and he starts telling them, everybody, this is how we can track it down and this is how we're going to do this. And he rushes back to the TARDIS with Donna when the Shadow Proclamation says, we're declaring war now, right across the universe, and you will lead them into battle. And the doctor goes, right. <laughs> of course. I'll just go get you a key to the TARDIS. <laughs> He's like, in his mind, it's like you can hear him going, okay, been there, done that, didn't like it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> There's no way you're getting your bits on my TARDIS. <laughs> So he goes back inside to get her the key. <laughs> Giant quotations there. <laughs> and then dematerializes the TARDIS, and she starts yelling into the empty space as he disappears. Wilf and Sylvia have managed to avoid the brunt of the Daleks, but have been sneaking around and are observing what is going on. I love Wilf, <laughs> especially in this part. Oh, Wilf has armed himself with a paintball gun. <laughs> Sylvia just rolls her eyes at, but he's like, you know, the dogs can only see uh, that one little eye stalk there. One, you know, well-placed paintball. Yep. And they won't be able to see. <laughs> Sylvia just rolls her eyes about. Which, if you'll think about up to this point, everything we've seen about the Daleks up to this point, he would be correct. Yes. But we don't know about everything that there is since we've seen them since the Seventh Doctor. Right. After watching their friends and neighbors essentially get rounded up and taken away, and a family be incinerated with their house for refusing to cooperate with the Daleks, uh, Wilf and Sylvia try and get back to their house and run into a Dalek. Wilf immediately reverts back to his military training because you get the idea that he's fought in World War II. He fires a paintball at the Dalek, hits him smack in the eye stock, and the Dalek boils the paint away. My vision is not impaired. My vision is not impaired. You will be exterminated. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All of a sudden, <laughs> the Dalek explodes, and as the smoke clears, we see Rose standing behind the Dalek with the end of her giant gun smoking. Her astro cannon. <laughs> <laughs> she confirms that they're Donna's family and says that she needs them in order to find Donna so she can find the doctor. Wilf has tried calling Donna, but there's no reply. 
and you know the last time Donna had phoned them was when she was on a planet called Midnight, made of diamonds. And Sylvia's like, "No, like, what are you talking about? It, she's not going across the galaxy or the universe or anything." To which Wilf says, "No, no, <laughs> she's been doing that all along. She just didn't want you to worry." He, he even the, the inflection in his voice even comes across like, "Look, are you dense? Can right? you not? Can you not really tell what's really going on here?" <laughs> right. <laughs> But they can't contact Donna or the doctor, and so Rose starts despairing about the situation. The TARDIS has tracked the Tandoka Trail to the Medusa Cascade, which is a rift in time and space, and the trail goes cold. And the doctor seems to just completely give up, because he has no options left and no idea what to do next. You know what would have been really interesting is if they had actually visually seen the rift in time and space, and it ended up looking like the crack that you see in Amy's wall later. Oh. <laughs> wow. Would that not have been interesting? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. All of a sudden, Mr. Smith, Torchwood, and the laptop at the Noble Home. <laughs> the Noble Home. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> suddenly start switching on. And a voice starts coming over, trying to gain contact. Jack just sort of dismisses it as some some poor soul calling out for help when all of a sudden a voice says, you know, something to the effect of, shame on you, stand at attention. And he goes, who is that? And of course we get Harriet Jones, former prime minister. Yes, I know who you are. (laughs) With your badge and everything. Yes, man, we know who you are. Uh, And... Rose tries to talk to Harriet, but Harriet can't hear her because Wilf and Sylvia don't have a webcam. Sylvia told Wilf they're naughty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looks like there are supposed to be four contacts. Harriet, Sarah Jane, the Torchwood, and the fourth contact is having trouble getting through. Rose assumes that's her, but then all of a sudden, after boosting the signal, Martha shows up at her home with her mother. And Rose is like, who is that? Who's that? <laughs> Well, replacement. Um, <laughs> you get the impression she's a bit jealous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it turns out that uh, Project Indigo was a little bit smarter than everybody had given it credit for. Martha basically had to think of the destination and it would take her there. And at the end of the world, she thought about going home to see her mother. And that's why she's there with her mom. And so Harriet introduces Torchwood to Sarah Jane. Jack says he's been following Sarah Jane's work, and she goes, well, you know, I've been trying to stay away from you. Too many guns. Jack says, you know, she's looking good, which Harriet says, you know, stop it. Stop flirting. Yeah, essentially. (laughs) Turns out the reason why this is, everyone is being contacted like this, is they're using a subwave network, you know, obtained from the Mr. Copper Foundation, which is a sentient network that is contacting anyone who can help in contacting the doctor. Sarah Jane questions Harriet's reasoning for doing this because, you know, the doctor basically deposed her. And Harriet admits she's often wondered whether or not her decision was wrong, but she says, you know, she stands by her actions because she knew that one day, like this, the Earth would be in danger and the doctor would fail to appear. So we get the, basically, what's going to happen, Martha's got the doctor's phone number, but they can't get through because something is jamming the signal. And so the subwave network combined with the energy from the rift at Torchwood 
and the ability of Mr. Smith to be able to tap into all phone networks at the same time is going to be able to boost the signal enough to hopefully break through whatever the jamming is in order to contact the doctor. Now, once they start it up, it will be able to be traced. And Harriet has that well in hand because they will be traced to her and not to anyone else. She says... My life doesn't matter, not if it saves the earth. I always liked her character. I did too. Even though she did make that one questionable choice, I I always thought she was a good person. Me too. And I, I always thought the doctor overreacted in dealing with her as well. In a, to a certain extent, you know, because I can see where he would get upset because she did attack someone who was retreating Mm -hmm. and who was no longer a threat. But to her credit though, she was thinking, in terms of what happens when they come back. Right. And what happens when the doctor leaves. Right. What happens when they come back and you're not here? Mm-hmm. Well, everyone is all set, ready to go. They power up. They start calling the doctor. Wilf, Rose, and Sylvia join in on their end, trying to call the doctor. And thankfully, the signal breaks through. And the doctor is able to start homing in on what's going on. And... um of course, as soon as the signal becomes noticed, the Daleks start reacting, and Avros says, you know, I warned you, Supreme One, just as Dalek Khan foretold, the children of time are moving against us, but everything is falling into place. So you're like, oh, this guy seems to know a lot. Mm-hmm. The Daleks have locked on to Harriet. They break in as she transfers control of the subwave network over to Torchwood. She introduces herself to the Daleks. Harriet Jones, former Prime Minister. Yes, we know who you are. And then she says, oh, you know nothing of any human, and that will be your downfall. And in that shining, glorious moment, Harriet Jones is exterminated. Off screen, actually. Yes. The, the, um, the TARDIS wiki synopsis says, with this, she's exterminated, though the Daleks have the decency to destroy the video link before doing so. I'm not sure if it's out of decency or just... Maybe the bolt went through her and into the computer. That's the, the, the vibe that I got off of it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. The doctor has managed to pinpoint the signal, locked on to the signal uh, coming through the phone that's ringing, and the TARDIS travels through time, and as it does, 27 planets come into view, and it appears that with the power of the Medusa Cascade, they were kept one second out of sync with the universe, and that's why nobody could find them. All of a sudden, the, the screen that's showing all the planets there cuts out, and um, the, what does Donna call it? The uh, Outer Space Facebook <laughs> comes on board, and we get Torchwood and Sarah Jane <laughs> and Martha. Not yeah. Rose, the, do- the doctor notices. Not Rose. And they're all sort of talking over each other, what's going on, and, you know, where have you been, and all that stuff. He and, wouldn't even, honestly, I don't think he would have even brought Rose up had it not been for Donna telling him that she had met Rose. Right. Right. Because I think at that point he would have just assumed that it was impossible for Rose to be there anyway. Right. And then this figure in the dark on board the Crucible demands access to the subwave network and basically transmits to everyone over the top of everyone else. It's Davros. Yeah. And the look on the doctor's face is priceless. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, it's impossible. That, that it can't happen. That It can't be. You know? You died. You know, I watched you die. You know? At the gates of Elysium. Your ship flew to the jaws of the nightmare child, which I still don't know what that is. 
And Davros says a single Dalek was stronger than you. Dalek Khan himself says that he flew into the wild and the fire. I danced and died a thousand times. Basically, uh, his emergency temporal shift took him back into the time war and he got Davros out. He did what was supposed to be the impossible. Right. And he lost his mind in the process. Yeah. And the doctor says, but the time war is time locked. You know, Davros goes, but he succeeded. You get the impression that what happened to him was almost similar to what happened with Rose in Bad Wolf. Yeah. Um, with the exception being that he wasn't actually possessed by the whole of space and time. He just witnessed the whole of space and time. Mm -hmm. And of course, after being rescued, Davros has created a new race of Daleks by growing one from a cell of his own body. (laughs) He's in pieces. (laughs) Well, he's always been in pieces, but yeah, he's even more so in pieces now because he has literally bone and organs showing through his flesh. Right. And Davros proclaims he's got new Daleks, true Daleks. I have my children, Doctor. What do you have now? And the Doctor's response is a very Tom Baker. Bye! <laughs> I almost wish he said bye-bye, because that's Tom Baker. Yeah. But he just says bye! <laughs> yeah. I, I'm having flashbacks to Destiny of the Daleks. Bye-bye! You know, <laughs> but of course, you know, the TARDIS is heading for Earth, and Dalek Khan is screeching and giggling maniacally about <laughs> death is coming, <laughs> everlasting death for the most faithful companion. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Who is that? Uh, Jack gets a couple of numbers to fix his teleportation device from Martha, and. Uh, disappears in order to meet up with the doctor, leaving Gwen and Yanto back in Torchwood. Sarah Jane rushes off to her car to find the doctor after Mr. Smith promises to protect Luke. The doctor manages to land on Earth and turns to Donna and says, did Rose say anything about the parallel Earth, you know, that, that could help them? And Donna sees something behind the doctor and says, why don't you ask her yourself? And then we get this, you know, moment that would have only been made better if they played the Chariots of Fire music. <laughs> They they run towards each other in a shot that's probably just a little bit too long. Um, And they're about to come in, you know, for the hug and everything when a Dalek appears and shoots the doctor, well, grazes the doctor with a shot right before Jack teleports onto the street, vaporizing the Dalek in the process. With his... Uh, revamped defabricator gun, I should say. Uh, <laughs> Was that the same gun? <laughs> that's what it says here. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me. So, How did he get it back? <laughs> oh, he probably picked it up when he got back on the TARDIS again, you know. Okay. <laughs> I'll go with that. Or did he take it? I think he might have taken it with him when he <laughs> went to go die. Anyway. And then we start getting, you know, all of these situations where everybody ends up in peril as the episode closes. Jack and Rose and Donna are getting the doctor back into the TARDIS as he tries to, you know, stave off a regeneration. Uh, Gwen and Yanto are under attack in Torchwood and pick up machine guns uh, ready for battle, you know, even though they're not going to do anything. Uh, Sarah Jane 
is peeling around, you know, is driving down the street very recklessly, um, peels around a corner and nearly runs into a pair of Daleks. Rose is very distraught because, you know, she's just found the doctor again and he's going to change again and who knows what's going to happen. And it all ends with a Dalek showing up at Torchwood, Daleks turning to exterminate Sarah Jane and the doctor regenerating. And you're like, what? <laughs> they didn't tell us we were getting a new doctor. <laughs> now think uh. about that. Think about if they had gone ahead and regenerated the doctor in this episode. Yeah. Think about how interesting that would have been in the story. Because not only would you have everything else going on, you would have a situation where you had to get used to a new face for the doctor on top of everything else. Right. <laughs> I, mm. Yeah. The doctor manages to use the regeneration energy to heal himself and then channels the rest of it into his handy spare hand. Which he got back from Captain Jack uh, on their last uh, meeting, if I'm not mistaken. I... I think so. I don't recall exactly where he got it back. But he's now carrying around his spare hand. Yeah, he's just he's got a spare hand in a jar, you know. Nothing. He's been carrying it around for more than a season. Yeah, kind of gross. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the, that the, when he met up with Captain Jack again with Martha, that's when he got it back, was from Captain Jack. I think so. But he manages to stay the same because the regeneration energy is now being stored in the hand. How that all happens, I'm not sure. It's Time Lord Wibbly Wobbliness. Um, well, basically, he used up a regeneration without having to change his face. Right. <laughs> doctor, doctor, doctor. Um, what was the reason that, uh, that uh, Matt Smith I, gave for that uh, in Matt Smith's final episode? Oh gosh, he said something he, about. His uh, his vanity was so vanity, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was something he was vanity. so vain that he couldn't bear changing his face, you know. <laughs> right. He really liked that regeneration. <laughs> um, and so Rose and the Doctor finally embrace because her Doctor is still there. Sarah Jane is saved by the sudden appearance of Mickey and Jackie, who blast the Daleks to pieces. Uh, which is kind of funny seeing Jackie with a giant gun. And at Torchwood, Gwen and Ianto are saved because there's a time lock there at Torchwood that has frozen the time around them, protecting them from the Dalek. Apparently, one of their deceased co-workers, Tosh, had been working on it um, yep. and got it finished before she was killed <laughs> off by RTD. Um, she, <laughs> I don't know. I haven't watched Torchwood. Yeah. Tosh is she or he? Tosh, Tosh is a she. That's what I thought. The Daleks have found the TARDIS and uh, transport it to the Crucible, um, into which the Supreme Dalek orders them to depart the vessel. And Jack says, well, we can just wait him out. You know, you've got all this shielding and the force fields and everything, right? And the Doctor's like, yeah, it's not working. Because the Daleks have found a way to deactivate, for lack of a better word, the TARDIS. It's just a wooden door right now. The Doctor, Rose, and Jack all exit. Donna has been hearing this heartbeat on and off throughout the, the story. She hears it again, looks back at the hand, and doesn't quite realize, you know, figure out what's going on, when the TARDIS door suddenly slams close. The Doctor demands that Donna be released, and the Supreme Dalek says, hey, This isn't our doing. This is your Time Lord trickery. I honestly thought that it was the TARDIS itself that had picked up on 
what was going on with the hand and was trying to find a way to, how did you put it? Keep an ace up its sleeve, if you know right. what I'm saying. Possibly. <laughs> Yeah, but there's also there's another explanation that we will get later as to how that may have happened. The TARDIS is to be destroyed. The last child of Gallifrey, as the Supreme Dalek poetically calls it, which I find the the Dalek's affinity for poetic irony quite fascinating, considering the fact that they're not supposed to have that many emotions. <laughs> but the TARDIS gets sent down basically to the, the core of the crucible where it will be destroyed the TARDIS interior is just you know going crazy you know the roundels are exploding basically and things are just turning into a mess as the TARDIS gets shaken and torn apart uh, Donna finds herself next to the console and hears the heartbeat again as she's sitting there next to the severed hand she touches the container and regeneration energy essentially flows back and forth between Donna and the hand. Uh, the hand bursts out of the container, which is kind of freaky. Um, and grows a duplicate of the doctor out of it. Yeah, the hand grows a body. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to what happened before with the doctor's body growing a new hand, the hand grows a new body. Yes. Uh, <laughs> who quickly dematerializes the TARDIS. And a view of the TARDIS and the core is shown to Jack, Rose, and the doctor, who believe that the TARDIS has been destroyed. Although I get the idea that the doctor doesn't quite believe that, but he's letting everyone else believe that. What did, what did you think? Well, I, I honestly felt like, to a certain extent, he, he did think that it was, was gone. Um, I think he was I, hoping it wasn't. I thought it was funny, though, how the doctor materializes out of this hand. Mm -hmm. He sits up, he's stark naked, and Donna says something to the effect of, you're back, or something like that. And he goes, oh, yes. And, and she goes, and you're naked. And, and he you're goes, naked. And he goes, Oh, yes! <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and then, without even putting on any clothes, he crawls over to the console and starts messing with all the controls. <laughs> well, when, when the TARDIS is that close to being completely torn apart, you, you kind of throw dignity out the window for a brief moment. I just thought it was funny because of her reaction, you know? Yeah. <laughs> It was like, this is a side of you I've never wanted to see before. <laughs> In order to get to the Crucible, Sarah Jane, Jackie, and Mickey surrender themselves to the Daleks in order to be taken to the Crucible so they can be close to the Doctor. Uh, Martha has a duty to do and uses the Project Indigo teleporter to take her to Germany. Uh, where one of the five Osterhagen stations is hidden because she's got the Osterhagen key and she has right. a job to do. And I love the fact that we get to hear the Daleks, you know, exterminarin, exterminarin, you know, how, you know, and we get. Right. <laughs> I love hearing the Daleks in German. And I almost want to get like a copy of an episode in German just so I can hear them do an entire episode in it because it sounds great. <laughs> we also get to see them flying through the trees. Yeah, you know, in the forest, like zigzagging between the trees. 
uh, which we haven't really seen before either. Right. And Martha gets a neat little scene with uh, this woman who's essentially guarding this castle where the Osterhagen station is. After giving the proper passwords and everything, she asks, isn't the station supposed to be guarded? And the woman, who's an old woman, says it was, but they were just soldiers, boys, you know, giving the idea that they've either left or were killed by Daleks in a foolhardy mm-hmm. attempt. And so she's the only one left to keep an eye on the place. And as Martha goes through the security measures to get into the Osterhagen station, the woman talks about how she was once the talk of the the camps, basically, when she had gone to London uh, back during the war. And we're led to assume she means the World War II. And so she knows about the Osterhagen key and what it can do and turns a gun on Martha and starts speaking in German now. And I haven't had a chance to like find a translation of what exactly she says, but essentially she tells her, don't you dare use that thing or I will have to kill you. And Martha mm-hmm. says, then do it. <laughs> and she can't. So Martha says, you know, it's my duty and goes into the station. And you're like, hmm, what is this? We still don't know what the Osterhagen key does. No. After witnessing the TARDIS be destroyed... Jack creates a distraction by shooting at the Supreme Dalek with his revolver, who shoots him down. The Doctor and Rose are taken to the vault where Davros is being held. And Rose doesn't know that Jack is immortal. No. And that she did that because of the bad wolf. Still hasn't ever been told. Not to her, anyways. We know because... You know, I find that interesting because she spent that time with the Doctor after all of that occurred. And I just find it strange that he never once brought that up. Well, he didn't run across Jack until much later. Anyways, the next time we see Jack is, you know, with the, um, is with Martha. Right. But he just, you know, he, he just never thought to even bring up the fact that she had brought Jack back to life. I mean, well, uh, you get the idea that the doctor has been avoiding Jack for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and that because Jack is sort of a, an anomaly, sort of an abomination. In that he sense. makes him nervous. He does. Because he and, doesn't fully understand him. And if he told Rose that Jack was still alive, she'd want to go get him. Okay, yeah, so, I see that part. So that's why Rose has no idea. Meanwhile, in the TARDIS, we get an idea of this new doctor who's put on some clothes, thankfully. Um, <laughs> and it's funny. Is it the same outfit that uh, the... The Tenth Doctor normally wears his secondary outfit? No. No, it's it's the suit, but he's got like a t-shirt on, which is reminiscent of... Of the Ninth Doctor. Of the Ninth Doctor. Yes. I noticed that this time around. Um, which... It almost feels symbolic. Yeah. Know? In a sense, yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think it's even the same color, or one of the same colors that Christopher Eccleston wore. Because he I wore think two, it is. He wore two or three different colors. Yeah, I think it is. It's uh, the, the maroon one. Uh, yeah. Or, or purple, which it's kind of in between, I guess, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, Donna finally is asking, okay, what just happened? <laughs> Can you just, you know, chop off a bit and grow a new one? Is that how you multiply? You Are know? you like worms? Are you like worms? <laughs> no, no, there's nothing like me before. She, and then he she's noticed. Free, she's freaking out. Cause she, she says, what's wrong with you, Time Lord? She says. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. And then he notices he only has one heart, like a human. He goes, oh, it's rubbish. Oi, spaceman, watch it, you know. Oi, Earth girl, you watch it, you know. 
No. Yes. <laughs> oh. No, no. And we get the idea that this is a bit of a two-way transition that New Doctors absorbs some Madonna's mannerisms. He got just a little bit more from her than just her DNA. Just a bit. <laughs> Which Well, the the indicator for me and and I could be completely off on this. I looked at this from the standpoint of percentages. And what I mean by that is, you know, the hand is a small percentage of the body. So it had to replace its entire body using human DNA. So there's going to be maybe 10% actual Time Lord DNA still in there. You know, there's enough for him to have his same mind and everything. But genetically speaking, he's probably mostly human. If that makes sense. It makes sense. The Doctor and Rose have been imprisoned in these forest fields down in the vault. And Davros is gleefully more than willing to explain the destruction he's about to wreak on the universe. He's basically using all these planets to power a reality bomb, which will break apart the electrical forces holding all matter together. Everything will become atoms, and the atoms will become nothing. Did you get a mental flashback when the Doctor and Davros were having the conversation about this reality bomb? To what? To the genesis of the Daleks, where the Doctor asks Davros if you had a vial... A virus, yeah. ...that would kill every living thing, would you use it? Yes. And he says... Yes, I would. Yeah. That 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 reminded me so much of that conversation when he was describing that reality bomb. <sighs> because I was sitting there and I was going, that's basically what this is, is the equivalent mm-hmm. of that vial with that virus in it with no known cure yeah. that he can use to wipe out everything. The only difference is this is that to like the nth degree where he's not only wiping out life, he's wiping out Everything in reality. Yeah, except the Daleks. The Daleks are going to be safe. Of course, then you have to ask yourself that question. Well, okay, if this was successful and you wiped out the whole of reality except for yourselves, what do you do after that? Mm. You have no purpose for life. Everything that you have you know, tried to accomplish is done and over with, and you literally have no purpose left. There's no reason for you to exist. They're only focused on getting to that point, and they'll figure the rest out later. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I do, though. That's, that, that, was is, what I, that, that across yeah. my mind, too, is like, well, what do you do after that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what do you just sit in your ship and just exist? <laughs> and just say, okay, it's time to go dump garbage chute four. <laughs> I will obey. You know, right? <laughs> I mean, th- there's nothing left after that. Yeah, it's a very interesting quandary. <laughs> uh, Mickey, Jackie, and Sarah have been taken with some other humans to, to test the bomb. There's going to be a focus charge to, to test the effects of this. The three of them manage to slip away during a distraction, although Jackie almost doesn't. Gosh, I remember as that thing was getting ready to count down, the first time I watched this going, they're going to yeah. kill Jackie. They're freaking going to kill Jackie. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, their little uh, transporter discs recharge. It takes a half an hour for them to do that. And as the countdown is finishing, she slips it out of her pocket and punches the button, which uh, I guess now uh, are partially directed by Will, uh, because she 
instead of transporting back to the parallel universe, she transports over to Mickey and Sarah Jane. Well, it's also possible that Mickey could have had her synchronized with his so that wherever he went, she went. That's you know probably more likely. Because he's probably more used to using them than she is. I would say yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then we just see... You know that this thing activates, and I'm you know I'm expecting some sort of giant like you know laser blast thing, and it just sort of begins to glow and hum, and then yeah. everybody just starts almost evaporating into dust. Is the the visual that I get? Yeah, they all hover just a little bit to the point to where uh, you know they're actually having to hold their hands down. Because it's you know it's like an anti gravity effect, and then suddenly they just kind of poof. It's you know? it's not you know big and dramatic or anything. It's, it's like just, smoke. They just sort of you know blow away in the wind, and it's it's almost more creepy that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as you watch your body just sort of lose all sense of togetherness, it just sort of. Face cease to exist. Ceases basically. to retain itself, and it just sort of blows away in the wind. It's really kind of freaky. Thankfully, we don't have to dwell on that too long because uh, Captain Jack uh, Harkness, not Sparrow, <laughs> bursts into the the corridor where Mickey, Jackie, and Sarah Jane are. I have to bring this up. Okay, they took Jack. To the incinerary bin. Yeah. They put him in the incinerator. And he found a way to open the door and crawl out. While he was being incinerated. Okay. Shouldn't there have at least been some smoke or something coming off of his coat or something? I mean. <laughs> well, I'm guessing whatever incinerating, <laughs> the, the incinerating machine in. This is my explanation for that. There's okay. something in that room that. I get the idea of like the Geonosis uh, molten lava uh-huh. dispenser thing uh, in Attack of the Clones. Uh huh. And whatever more, the inc- more Star Wars. Yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> but whatever this incinerator thing is, it goes underneath this nozzle, and like a concentrated beam of heat incinerates what's ever in the container, and then uh-huh. just moves on to the next one. It's on some sort of conveyor belt sort of thing. And Jack, after the door was closed, jumped out of that and managed to get the door open. As this concentrated beam of energy, you know, heat was incinerating what was in the the bin behind him, basically. That's that's, how, that's possible. Yeah. That's how I explained that away in my head. Uh, <laughs> I just thought that was kind of interesting. As okay, we're putting you in the incinerator, and you don't even have burn marks on your coat or anything. The the thing you is, know? is if they did anything, or he got out before it fully activated. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, is if you did anything later than that. All of his clothes would have been incinerated, and you would have just had naked Jack the rest of the episode. Um, <laughs> Which we've had before, but, you know, but not has, for the rest of the episode. Right, but, but he has a lot more saying. to do. So it's like, well, we can't have naked Jack on for half an episode. I, I just figured that it, at the very least you'd have some damage to his coat. Yeah. You know. But he seems to be none the worse the wear and uh, <laughs> finds his way to the three of them there. Not the life forms he was looking for, but... He'll take it. And he hugs Mickey real tight and says, Mickey Mouse. Hey, Captain. Oh, what what does he call him? Captain. Oh, yes. He says, Mickey Mouse. He says, Captain Cheesecake. And they hug. And he goes, 
that's Captain Beefcake. And he says, that's and, enough hugging. And that's enough of that, you know. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought that was funny. It was. <laughs> uh, Sarah Jane reveals that she has a warp star, which is basically an explosion waiting to happen in a diamond. And they can use that to uh, bargain with the Daleks. Martha, meanwhile, is now online with two other Osterhagen bases, one in China and one in Liberia. And they finally reveal to us what it is, what the Osterhagen key does, because she contacts the Dalek ship to do something the doctor would do, which is give the Daleks a chance to respond instead of just activating it. She vows to use the Osterhagen key to detonate 25 nuclear warheads under the Earth's crust to destroy the Earth and disable the reality bomb because she goes, I figure you need all of these planets for a reason. What if it's one less? Would that even work for you anymore? And that's when Captain Jack has got the warp star hooked up to the crucible and they contact the Daleks and Davros and do the same sort of threat. Get everybody out of here or we'll activate this, you know, set it off. It's like, let's make a deal. Do you choose door number one, door number two, or door number three? Right. <laughs> I choose door number three. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get a very interesting little scene here where Sarah Jane and Davros recognize each other. Yeah. And Davros loves the poeticism in this. You know, she was there at the beginning and now she's here at the end, you know, and it's, he loves this. This is so delightful. Everything is, you know, nigh perfect now. If, if Harry Sullivan was there, it just would have been the greatest thing in the world. But Harry has never come back. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is where Davros starts cackling. And something that has been said earlier is revealed. We get to see the soul of the Doctor revealed. Davros says that he creates the Daleks as weapons. And you know these are his children. And you, Doctor, the man who pours violence, never carrying a gun. This is what you do. You take people and you turn them into weapons. And this is such a, a victory for Davros. He's always looking for a way to make the doctor like him in his mind so that he can justify everything that he's done. Right, right. And Davros asks the doctor how many other people have died for him or in his name. And we get you know, flashbacks of so many people from the, the current series that have, that have done just that. I wish they had had a few of the uh, classic series characters thrown in there, uh, but I suppose they probably had some difficulty uh, maybe getting the footage to match up or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. It is at this point that the Daleks have locked on to the respective positions of the, the two groups threatening them and transmat Martha, Jack, Mickey, and Jackie, and Sarah Jane to the vault without their respective bargaining chips. So the Warp Star is still in the hallway where they hooked it up to the Crucible, and the Osterhagen Key is still in the Osterhagen Station in Germany. And things are not going well. Nope. At this point, this is where Davros starts his maniacal uh, spiel about nobody can stop me. Uh, this is my ultimate victory, and he starts to laugh, his crazy, insane laugh, and it's very disturbing, actually, to listen to him laugh this laugh, you know? Yeah. Because you you feel like that he has finally 
literally lost it at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Davros has finally gone in completely insane. He's already been somewhat insane. You know, you have to be in order to do the things he's done. But he's finally, he realizes, just about as insane as Dalek Khan. Yeah. And the countdown begins to set off the reality bomb. The TARDIS materializes, and Doctor Number 2 and Donna rush out. The Doctor Number 2 has created a device that, if operated, will be able to essentially backfire the reality bomb and destroy only things that are Dalek and nothing else. But he bursts out of the TARDIS, charges Davros, and gets uh, zapped by Davros's electricity finger thingy, um, which we saw with the Sixth Doctor. And that, which he sh- let's be honest, though, which he should not have had until his hand was replaced. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but we'll just sort of let that, that should have lie. come. That should have come from his artificial eye as opposed to his fingertip. Right. And then Donna rushes out to try and, you know, grab the weapon and figure out how to use it. And she gets zapped by Davros as well and thrown against the console in the corner of the room, basically. That looked more like something that just caused them pain as opposed to something that was actually intended to kill them. Right, right. It knocks them out. It gets them out of commission. Uh, it's like a stun ray or something. Yeah. Happy that Donna and the TARDIS survived, but the Doctor is still horrified because the countdown is continuing and there's no one who can stop it at this point, it seems. The countdown gets all the way down to one and then nothing happens. Then a little belatedly an alarm starts blaring. And Donna has is at this console and has used the controls on the console to disable the reality bomb. And they ask, how'd you do that? And she gives off this really long technical jargon about how she did it. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> now, now, the what? first time I the first time I watched this, uh, honestly, when she came out from behind the console, rather than you know rattling off all of that technical stuff, I I honestly expected her to just pick up a giant cord with the plug on it and say, I unplugged it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because that would be so Donna, you know, right. (laughs) But, but the doctor says that you can't change a plug. (laughs) Uh, And she's like, yeah, apparently that uh, time Lord human metacrisis was a two way thing. And now she's part doctor, part Donna, the doctor Donna as the Ood saw coming. And uh, then she basically takes over the show and starts disabling Dalek weaponry, sending all the Daleks just spinning back and forth crazily. Hey, let's make them go circles. Oh, okay, let's make them go the other way around. (laughs) And then she faces everybody else, and she and the doctors, who, ironically taking orders from her, start sending the planets back to their rightful times and places. (laughs) <laughs> she says, come on, skinny boys, help me get this thing going. <laughs> Go on, skinny boys and suits. Let's do this. <laughs> Turns out the metacrisis within her had remained dormant until she got that little shock from Davros. They, they're using the magnetron to send all the planets back to their correct places. Davros tries to stop them. Jack and Mickey get their guns back and say, don't even think about it. Uh... This is when things get kind of interesting, because Davros says, why didn't you foresee this coming? And Khan says, I did. Actually, first he giggles. He laughs. 
maniacally giggles, and the doctor looks at Davros and goes, I think he did. Right. <laughs> because when he did that last emergency temporal shift, he had seen time itself, is what we had come to understand. Yeah. And he had seen the Daleks for what they were, had seen the evil they caused, and deemed it wrong. And I think part of that actually has to go back to what happened in the previous story, because I don't think that he wanted anyone to know how much those events affected him before he went on that temporal shift, you know, because you could tell that there was something different in his voice when he initiated that temporal shift, because the doctor's standing there saying, let me help you. I can teach you how to be better. And then it's like he has almost a fear in his voice, like he almost thinks that he's too afraid to give in to the doctor, you know. Mm-hmm. And and that's I think that that had something to do with it as well before he went into the, the whole of time and space, because I think that was the last thing that was on his mind when he went into it. The Supreme Dalek has just had enough, and so he comes down to the vault and says he'll destroy them all. And fires off a shot. Jack quickly kills the Supreme Dalek. But the shot that the Supreme Dalek fired destroys the Magnetron. And they've only got one planet left to send back. Oh, and just guess who it is. Yeah. It's Earth. (laughs) The doctor specifically says, and guess which one? Yep. (laughs) And then he goes, oh, but we can use the TARDIS. And he runs on board the TARDIS in order to start making preparations. It turns out the Dalek Khan is probably it might have been behind, you know, somewhat of Donna getting trapped in the TARDIS because he says that this situation here with Donna would have always happened with her stopping the reality bomb and the subsequent results of that would have always happened. And the new doctor is swayed by not only Davros saying that this army is still strong enough, he can still take on the universe and Dalek Khan saying that this is not a good thing. The new doctor decides I need to stop this before it gets started and uses the rest of the machinery there in the crucible to start causing the Daleks to self-destruct all of them except Dalek Khan and Davros apparently. So it's, it's a, it's a parallel to what we saw at the end of season one, Mm -hmm. uh, basically, whereas the difference being uh, what Rose did was just simply cause them to cease to exist. And what he did was absolute total genocide. Right. In which the real doctor is furious about, but gets everybody in the TARDIS because things are about to go boom. He offers to save Davros. Davros refuses and says, I name you forever. You are the destroyer of worlds. And then he just howls in fury. And Dalek Khan, the last thing he says, one will still die. And the doctor races into the TARDIS and dematerializes right before it is destroyed. The doctor teams up with Mr. Smith and K-9, who knows the base code of the TARDIS, and (laughs) Torchwood to use the power of the Rift to basically tow Earth back to its normal time and place in space. And using all of his companions, the Doctor pilots the TARDIS very efficiently and smoothly 
back to our solar system to bring Earth back to its rightful place because it's normally piloted by six people. And he does it all by himself normally. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny, though, because he gives each person a job and he says, okay, I want you to control this and you to control that and you to control this. And he walks around to Jackie and he goes, oh, no, Jackie. Oh, no, you, you stay right there. Yeah, don't, and don't, <laughs> don't touch, touch anything. anything. <laughs> and Mickey looks at her and just kind of shrugs his shoulders like, sorry. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, the way the console is designed, it being a hexagon, you can see why it would be believable that it would be run by six people. Yeah. And, and, you know, all throughout the series, you see the doctor working on one side of it and then rushing around to the complete other side to check something right. and then back and forth again, you know. So it makes sense. They finally get Earth back to its place. And everyone starts rejoicing. You know, the world rejoices that it's back in its correct place in time, uh, and the doctor lands not far from Sarah Jane's house, I believe. Sarah Jane gets out, tells the doctor that he acts like such a lonely man, which is odd because he has the biggest family on Earth. And then she leaves to go check on her son. Jack leaves, but not before the doctor disables his teleport. Vortex manipulator is not supposed to be used. You do realize that, uh, according to expanded universe canon, I guess you would say for the the Doctor Who universe, that that eventually ends up with River Song. The she vortex manipulator. Up, she ends up with Jack's vortex manipulator. It makes you wonder if they, you know, spent an adventure together and she sort of stole it off of him. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's uh, he. The one that he has is the one that she inevitably ends up with, you know. Yeah. Martha leaves with Jack, who tries to convince her to join Torchwood, which she just kind of rolls her eyes at. Does she <laughs> join Torchwood in the series? No. Well, that's the thing. This was supposed to be a setup for her to join the Torchwood show. Mm -hmm. But there was a uh, scheduling conflict that ended up happening, and she ended up being scheduled to be on a different show when they set up to schedule Torchwood to film and she was already contractually obligated to be on the other show. And so she couldn't be on Torchwood because she was on the other show. Gotcha. Um, and so uh, I, I believe that there was, I believe if I'm not mistaken, that there was a cameo that she had on Torchwood uh, prior to this. And then this was supposed to be the setup of him talking her into joining the team so that the next season she would be on the Torchwood team, which would also kind of explain why uh, Russell T. Davies killed off the doctor that the team had at the end of the previous season. Gotcha. Uh, so I think it was, I think it was, it was all set up and no final execution, if you know what I mean. Okay. I wondered, because I haven't seen Torchwood yet. Um, so I was just wondering if that, is, if that had happened. It's very much more adult-oriented than Doctor Who. You know, Doctor Who is more family-friendly, uh, and and Torchwood is more uh, adult, edgy kind of storytelling. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same universe, the same uh, feel somewhat to the, to the stories and the way the stories are told to a certain extent. But there's a lot more... Uh, adult content and things like that in it. So, right. Mickey decides that he's going to be staying here in this dimension. His grand uh, past 
in the the alternate dimension, so he has no real reason to stay there. And so he runs to catch up with Jack and Martha, which becomes interesting because the two of them, Martha and, and Mickey, end up becoming an item. Yeah. They end up married, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that's correct. And, and Mickey also sees the writing on the wall for what's about to happen with Rose and the new doctor. Mickey's a lot smarter than anybody gives him credit for. Right. Mickey the idiot's not quite an idiot. <laughs> well, he matured a whole lot from the first time you see him until this point, too. Right. You know, right. he's yes. matured a whole lot because when you first see him, he basically still acts like a kid. Exactly. Of course, then we get the second goodbye between Ten and Rose as he takes Rose, Jackie, and new Doctor back to the parallel universe and deposits them onto Bad Wolf Day. <laughs> Which Jackie goes, oh, great, we're in bloody Norway again. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, I'll have to go find your father. <laughs> call your father. Have him come get us, you know. <laughs> and Rose gets very defensive about this. She doesn't want to stay here. She wants to go back to traveling with the doctor. And the doctor says, no, you can't. Besides, I need you to look after him. Referring to his new self. Uh, because he's still, you know, full of blood and fire and anger and that traveling with Rose has made him better. So he needs her to do that for the new doctor. Cause he's basically the ninth doctor with the 10th doctor's face. Right. You know, he says, he's me when I first, uh, he's me. He's me when you first met me. Right. And due to the new doctor only having one heart, he will age at a normal human rate and not ever regenerate. And so he could spend his entire life with Rose and Rose could spend her entire life with him and she says, it's still not having you. And then she... In her mind, it's a trade-off. In her mind, it's like, why are you giving me the face and not everything else? Right. You know. Um, even though he has all the memories, all the experiences, that sort of thing. She finally tests them by saying, that last thing you said to me here, what was it? And the doctor says, I said, Rose Tyler. And she goes... Yeah, well, how, would that, how is that sentence going to end? And everyone is on the edge of their seats going, oh, is he going to say it? And he goes, does it really need saying? And the audience <laughs> goes, yes, it does. <laughs> um, and then she turns to the new doctor and says, well, doctor, how is that sentence going to end? And he whispers something in her ear. So she hears it. We don't. So we're left wondering <laughs> what it really was. Although we can guess. It's probably one of a very few things. <laughs> well, if he's if he's anything like the doctor we know, he probably does it with flair, you know. Mm, probably. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, that causes Rose to jump into his arms and passionately kiss him, which you know gives the doctor and Donna uh, a distraction to exit back to the TARDIS and, and leave. And you can tell as he turns to leave to go get on the TARDIS that it is literally ripping his guts out yeah. to leave her standing there kissing his doppelganger. Right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite something. But um, he's, he's giving her what she needs and, and, and forgetting about what he needs, mm -hmm. you know? He's, he's sacrificing for her, basically. Yeah. And then we realize, oh, wait, there's still like eight minutes left in the episode. And you're going, this can't be good. And it can't. 
because the doctor gets back into the TARDIS and finally looks at Donna with a very sad expression on his face. And she's just eager and excited to get back to traveling now that she's the Dr. Donna and they can do all these great things. And uh, except as she keeps babbling on about this, that, and the other thing, then she starts repeating words where it's, you know, it's binary that she gets stuck on. And she repeats that over and over and over and over again. Then she goes, "Ah, I'm fine, you know. And he goes, no, you're not. And the doctor says, "You, you know what's going on, don't you? And Donna says, yes. There's never been a human Time Lord metacrisis because there can't be. Essentially, Donna has the mind of a Time Lord in her brain. In her human brain. In her human brain. And it's too much. And it's burning her up from the inside. Well, it would be kind of like... I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Johnny Mnemonic um, with Keanu Reeves. Uh, it's very dated at this point, but at the time that it was made, uh, it wasn't. But <clears throat> long story short, he has the equivalent of a hard drive in his head. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that he has had part of his brain that is not normally being used replaced by a computer. And he can be jacked into a computer system and he could basically be a, a courier of digital information that's hidden in his head. And he takes on a job that he shouldn't take on because it's like three times as much data as what he's supposed to be able to store. So he he buys a compression system and installs it into his head so he can store all this data. But because it's not supposed to store that much, it starts having bleed over and it starts affecting his natural brain. And it starts causing his real natural brain to shut down. And it's essentially slowly killing him. So if he can't get the data out of his head in time, he will die. Yeesh. Yeah, so that's it's basically the same type of setup in a nutshell as to what she's going through. Yeah. Donna knows what the doctor wants to do and needs to do, but she doesn't want him to do it. And she says, I was going to spend the rest of my life traveling with you, the Dr. Donna. And he goes, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Of course, you know, because that's what the doctor does. And then the doctor does one of the cruelest things the show has ever done to a companion and wipes her mind. Her, from, his, from his point of view, it's mercy. It's right. I mean, but the, the show is just so cruel. Russell T. Davies is a cruel, cruel man right now. <laughs> well, he killed off half a Torchwood. I mean, you know. <laughs> He's the BBC equivalent of... Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon, is that it? <laughs> yeah. Oh. And she doesn't want to go back, but he he says we had the best of times. And he wipes her mind of all the encounters they've ever had, every trace of him, every trace of the TARDIS, every trace of their adventures, and she falls unconscious. There's a knock on the door. Wilfred raises the door because he thinks it's Donna back, and he's so excited to talk to her about all the adventures that she's must have had and there is the doctor holding an unconscious donna asking for help he explains everything that's happened and that she can never ever ever be reminded of her time with the doctor or the tardis because she'll die and sylvia says but it's all over the news there were planets in the sky we traveled through space how does how will she not know and it'll just be another another donna story you know something she missed again And Wilfred is visibly upset about all of this because of all the wonderful things she did and saw and the people she met, she was a better person because of it, because of her traveling with the doctor. 
And She's, she went from being a more shallow person to being somebody who uh, had a lot of spiritual depth, mm-hmm. you know, empathy and yes. And he says there are planets in the universe singing songs of Donna Noble because for one shining moment, she was the most important woman in the entire universe. And Sylvia says she still is. She's my daughter. And you might want to try telling her that more often. <laughs> yeah. He tells her that with this almost scowl on his face. Yeah. You might want to tell her that more often. And the look she gives him is like, don't tell me how to raise my daughter. Right. You know, <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking she's 30, <laughs> you know, right. You, she's raised, <laughs> you know, you're about to lose her if you don't do something. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get something heartbreaking. Donna comes back into the room laughing about her phone blowing up and that she fell asleep in her clothes. Why would you let me do that? Um, oh, hi. How are you? It's, and you are uh, John Smith. Hi. How are you? Uh, sorry, I have to go, go call my friend here, you know, and who are telling her this wacky story of plants in the sky. She's like, oh, no, that can't be real and all this stuff. And Sylvia says that the doctor should leave. Um, outside, the doctor says goodbye to Wilf. And uh, Wilfred asks the doctor who he's got now. You know, what happened to all his friends? And he, the doctor says, well, they, they all have someone else. That's fine with him. Wilfred promises that he'll look out for the doctor every night in honor of, of Donna, on Donna's behalf. Doctor thanks Wilfred, returns the TARDIS in the rain, and then he heads back into the TARDIS and just sort of sits there silently with sad, sad look on his face. Alone. Alone. And the episode ends. When I saw this, I, I don't think I necessarily thought of it this way the first time I watched it. But like I said, when you watch things multiple times, you have different thoughts come up later. And when I watched this and I saw him sitting there in the TARDIS by himself, I immediately started thinking about the expression on his face when Sarah Jane turned around to walk away because it was like he had this expression on his face of, I know something you don't know. I know what's about to happen, but I can't tell you what's about to happen because if I do, then you're going to want to try to come with me and you can't do that. You know, right. Because I think he knew her well enough to know that she would, probably take her son and go with him. Yeah. You know, and he couldn't have that happen. Right. And it's interesting because the end of David Tennant's previous two seasons had him walking around the TARDIS alone. And then at the end of his first season, Donna as the bride shows up, uh-huh. you know, mysteriously in the middle of the TARDIS. After he said goodbye to Martha, he's there alone in the TARDIS and the Titanic blasts through the side of the TARDIS. And then this time, he's there alone in the TARDIS, and nothing happens. And it just ends on him being alone. See, I really... I don't know what was going on in the BBC at this point. I really don't know about all the details about uh, Russell T. Davies uh, leaving the show and that type of thing. Uh, I wish I knew a little bit more about that. But I can tell you the vibe that I get from the show itself, seeing how it was played out, 
uh, not having any knowledge about it, it looks like to me that this was originally intended to possibly be Russell T. Davies' final episode. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least was done in such a way so that it could be his final episode if it had to be. Because I really don't think he knew what his uh, future role, what his future on the show was going to be and at this point. And I think that was probably the reason why we got specials the next year as opposed to a season is because he was making it as he was allowed to make it basically, mm-hmm. or he was making it to try to work out what was going to happen with, you know, his future on the show. And so this was kind of his way of saying, okay, I, I have a finishing point. If I don't come back to the show, I have a finishing point. If the show decides to end at this point and doesn't have another season, but then I think maybe he worked it out so that he could do the specials because they decided that they were going to go in a different direction. Uh, that's just the way it comes off to me watching the show. Uh, now, I could be completely off base with that. There could be some details that we're not privy to that, you know, would completely blow that theory out of the water. But just from looking at the episodes and seeing how it was put together, it seems to me that that's probably how this was set up and probably for that reason. Mm-hmm. Because this, to me, seems like a definitive ending uh, to a certain extent, you know. Um, It feels like a definitive ending for the Daleks. It feels like a definitive ending for the show if it had to end at this point. But it also leaves you a jumping off place if you do come back to the show later like they did before. Yeah. If that that makes sense. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to need to start wrapping this up here. Uh, Final thoughts and Dalek rating for Stolen Earth and Journey's End. (sighs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Got Davros in it, so you know I'm already gonna like it. Because um, I mean, Davros is one of my all-time favorite villains ever. Uh, you know, he's right up there with Darth Vader, and I would say the shadows from Babylon Five are kind of up there. You know, just there's certain certain villains that that fall into that that category. You know, mm-hmm. um, so uh, even though it at at a couple of points could almost be a little bit hard to follow because there was so much going on in the story. I still was able to follow it and it didn't, it didn't overwhelm me as much as I thought it would. Of course, like I said, I've seen it three or four times at least, you know, but even on the first showing, it didn't really overwhelm me and it wasn't, it wasn't as difficult to follow as it could have been, you know? So I think it was executed pretty well you know it left me with a lot of questions but my overall thoughts and my overall ratings I think for these two episodes I think I'm going to have to give it maybe I'm, I'm going to say a nine okay there was very little bit you know very little in this that I felt like was just pandering if you know what I mean right um, and and when you have an episode like this that has so many characters in it and so many different storylines in it for those characters and everything, it can turn into the pander fest, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, whereas everything you put in there is just so the fans can go, ooh, and ah, and oh, I remember that. And, you know, there was enough in there to get those reactions that, you know, called back to other things, but not so much that you felt like you were being pandered to. Right. 
I really like this. Uh, this is one of my more favorite of the the modern Doctor Dalek episodes. the The only thing is that there is there is a lot going on. Um, <laughs> there is so much going on with all the different characters, um, and it it gets a bit full at times. Mm-hmm. And the one gripe I have with this episode and with this particular season in general is I'm such a big fan of uh, I'm such a big fan of Donna that I feel like she because she's a different type of companion and one that's not trying to get you know romantically entangled with the doctor they were like okay well we need to still have that in the show somehow so let's have her run across Martha for like three episodes and then run across Rose periodically to sort of set up for all of this at the end where we get Rose coming back with the doctor and this sort of thing. And um, that struck me as a little bit frustrating at times because while I liked seeing Donna working with some of the other companions, it was just, it almost seemed like they didn't trust Donna with the show. Kind of Mm -hmm. like how uh, they didn't seem to trust Peter Capaldi with the show for his first season. Right. Um, and, Where they made the for his first season was more about uh, Clara than it was about him. Right, right, uh, and so that sort of all culminates in these two episodes. And while I like what we get with Donna and the Doctor and the Daleks, I would have hoped that she was a little. While she's integral to the story, she's not prevalent. She's mm-hmm. essential to the story, but she's kind of essential over here. If you get what I mean, and and they treat her the same way they do the other companions. They they keep her off screen for a large portion of the episodes. Right. You know. Right. And especially with everything that happens to her at the end, I, I kind of wish that she had had a little bit more screen time and a little bit more to do. And so, for that reason, I will I will give this uh, an. Let's go with an eight. Uh, eight to an eight and a half. It's fair. Just because, you know, I like the episode. I love seeing all, you know, I, I like all these specials where everybody comes together and it's fun and we get to see everybody again. But because we'd had a season full of that sort of thing already uh-huh. and Donna not really getting able to, being able to, to shine completely, um, you know, as completely as some of the other companions had, that frustrates me just a little bit. So for that reason, I'm going to give it eight eight and a half and I can get that yeah alright well there are many many questions to be answered after this episode but since it all involves primarily how the Daleks get back we will address those on our next episode (laughs) that works for me so Uh, um, because that's that's basically what it's going to boil boil down to anyway is you know all the questions we have uh, have to do with what comes next which will be our review of Victory of the Daleks, uh, featuring the Eleventh Doctor's Matt Smith. So we're ironically enough, which takes place in World War II, which has come up multiple times in the two episodes that we just talked about in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is true. <laughs> that is true. 
I'm actually kind of excited to, to talk about Matt Smith's Doctor with the Daleks uh, on our next episode. I think that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. It's nice It's nice going through this to have that change every so often, every couple of episodes. Uh, well, it's been a nostalgia trip. You know? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, it's kind of nice to see that every so often, uh, to, to change it up every so often. Um, so Victory of the Daleks is next. Uh, if you want to tell us what you think about this episode or our next episode that we're going to be talking, uh, you can do that on our social media. You can get in touch with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Talking Time Lords. Our Twitter handle is at Talking Time Lord, or you can always email us at Talking Time Lords at gmail.com. Links to all of our social media, as well as links to each and every one of our previously released episodes, as well as the images that go along with that, can be found on our TARDIS on the internet, TalkingTimeLords.com. So be sure to check out that if you want, for all things Talking Time Lords, you know. And tell your friends about us! Yes! Tell your friends all about the show. Uh, leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever you find us. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, particularly- because we're fantastic. Yes. <laughs> fantastic. So. Uh, anything else, Ball? I am extremely excited about doing this again next week. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that will wrap up this episode of Talking Time Lords. This has been episode number 46, The Stolen Earth and Journey's End, a story review. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... May you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts. Or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows. 